0: Chapter Six Part Two of the Miracles of Our Lord. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Miracles of Our Lord by George MacDonald. Chapter Six Part Two Miracles granted to the prayers of friends. We now complete a little family group, as it were, with the story of another foreigner, a Roman officer who besought the Lord for his servant. This captain was at Capernaum at the time, where I presume he had heard of the cure which Jesus had granted to the nobleman for his son. It seems almost clear from the quality of his faith, however, that he must have heard much besides of Jesus, enough to give him matter of pondering for some time. For I do not think such humble confidence as his could be, like Jonah's gourd, the growth of a knight. He was evidently a man of noble and large nature. Instead of lording it over the subject Jews of Capernaum, he had built them a synagogue. And his behavior to our Lord is marked by that respect which is shown to any human being but especially to a person of lower social condition it is one of the surest marks of a finely wrought moral temperament such a nature may be beautifully developed by military training in which obedience and command go together and the excellence of faith and its instant response in action would be more readily understood by the thoughtful officer of a well-disciplined army than by one to whom organization was unknown hence arose the parallel the centurion draws between his own and the master's position which so pleased the lord by its direct simplicity but humble as the man was i doubt if anything less than some spiritual perception of the nobility of the character of jesus some perception of that which was altogether beyond even the power of healing could have generated such perfect reverence such childlike confidence as his it is no wonder the lord was pleased with it for that kind of thing must be just what his father loves according to st luke the roman captain considered himself so unworthy of notice from the carpenter's son they of capernaum which was his own city, knew his reputed parentage well enough, that he got the elders of the Jews to go and beg for him that he would come and heal his servant. They bore testimony to his worth, specifying that which would always be first in the eyes of such as they, that he loved their nation and had built them a synagogue. Little they thought how the Lord was about to honor him above all their nation and all its synagogues. He went with them at once. But before they reached the house, the centurion had a fresh inroad of that divine disease, humility. Footnote 6. In him it was almost morbid, one might be tempted to say, were it not that it was his own sister to such mighty faith. End footnote. And had sent other friends to say, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. This man was a philosopher. He ascended from that to which he was accustomed to that which he was not accustomed. Nor did his divine logic fail him. He begins with acknowledging his own subjection and states his own authority. Then leads it to the Lord to understand that he recognizes in him an authority beyond all, expecting the powers of nature to obey their master just as his soldiers or his servants obey him. How grandly he must have believed in him! But beyond suspicion of flattery, he avoids the face of the man whom in heart he worships. How unlike those who press into the presence of a phantom greatness! A poor creature like me, go and talk to him! The Roman captain would exclaim, No! No! I will worship him from afar off. And it is to be well heeded that the Lord went no further, turned at once. With the tax gatherer Zacchaeus he would go home, if but to deliver him from the hopelessness of his self-contempt. But what occasion was there here? It was all right here. The centurion was one who needed but to go on. In heart and soul, He was nearer the Lord now than any of the disciples who followed him. Surely someone among the elders of the Jews, his friends, would carry him and report of what the Master said. It would not hurt him. The praise of the truly great will do no harm, save it fall where it ought not, on the heart of the little. The praise of God never falls wrong, therefore never does anyone harm. The Lord even implies we ought to seek it. His praise would but glorify the humility and the faith of this Roman by making both of them deeper and nobler still. There is something very grand in the Lord's turning away from the house of the man who had greater faith than any he had found in Israel. For such were the words he spoke to those who followed him, of whom in all likelihood the messenger elders were nearest. Having turned to say to them, he turned not again, but went his way. St. Luke, whose narrative is in other respects much fuller than St. Matthew's, who says that the centurion himself came to Jesus and makes no mention of the elders, does not represent the master as uttering a single word of cure, but implies that he just went away marveling at him while they that were sent, returning back to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. If anyone asked how Jesus could marvel, I answer Jesus could do more things than we can well understand. The fact that he marveled at the great faith shows that he is not surprised at the little, and therefore is able to make all needful and just, yea, and tender allowance. Here I cannot do better for my readers then give them four lines, dear to me, but probably unknown to most of them, written, I must tell them, for the sake of their loving Catholicity, by an English Jesuit of the seventeenth century. They touch the very heart of the relation between Jesus and the centurion. Thy God was making haste into thy roof. Thy humble faith and fear keeps him aloof. He'll be thy guest, because he may not be. He'll come into thy house, no, into thee. As I said, we thus complete a kind of family group, for surely the true servant is one of the family. We have the prayer of a father for his son, of a mother for a daughter, of a master for a servant. Alas, the dearness of this latter bond is not now known as once there never was a rooted institution in parting with which something good was not lost for a time however necessary its destruction might be for the welfare of the race there are fewer free servants that love their masters and mistresses now i fear than there were roman bondsmen and bondswomen who loved theirs and on the other hand very few masters and mistresses regard the bond between them and their servants with half the respect and tenderness with which many among the Romans regarded it. Slavery is a bad thing, and of the devil. Yet mutual jealousy and contempt are worse. But the time will come yet when a servant will serve for love as more than wages, and when the master of such a servant will honor him, even to the making him sit down to meet, and coming forth, and serving him. The next is the case of the palsied man, so graphically given by both St. Mark and St. Luke, and with less of circumstance by St. Matthew. This miracle also was done in Capernaum, called his own city. Pharisees and doctors of the law from every town in the country, hearing of his arrival, had gathered to him and were sitting listening to his teaching. There was no possibility of getting near him, and the sick man's friends had carried him up to the roof, taken off the tiles, and let him down into the presence. It should not be their fault if the poor fellow was not cured. Jesus, seeing their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, and when he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Son, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. The forgiveness of the man's sins is by all of the narrators connected with the faith of his friends. This is very remarkable. The only other instance in which similar words are recorded is that of the woman who came to him in Simon's house, concerning whom he showed first that her love was a sign that her sins were already forgiven. What greater honor could he honor their faith withal then grant in their name, unasked, the one mighty boon. They had brought the man to him. To them he forgave his sins. He looked into his heart and probably saw, as in the case of the man whom he cured by the pool of Bethesda, telling him to go and sin no more, that his own sins had brought upon him this suffering, a supposition which aids considerably to the understanding of the consequent conversation saw at all events that the assurance of forgiveness was what he most needed whether because his conscience was oppressed with a sense of guilt or that he must be brought to think more of the sin than of the suffering for it involved an awful rebuke to the man if he required it still that the lord should when he came for healing present him with forgiveness. Nor did he follow it at once with the cure of his body, but delayed that for a little, probably for the man's sake, as probably for the sake of those present, whom he had been teaching for some time, and in whose heart he would now fix the lesson concerning the divine forgiveness which he had preached to them in bestowing it upon the sick man." For his words meant nothing, except they meant that God forgave the man. The scribes were right when they said that none could forgive sins but God. That is, in the full sense in which forgiveness is still needed by every human being, should all his fellows whom he has injured have forgiven him already. They said in their hearts, he is a blasphemer. This was what he had expected. Why do you think evil in your hearts, he said? That is evil of me, that I am a blasphemer. He would now show them that he was no blasphemer, that he had the power to forgive, that it was the will of God that he should preach the remission of sins. How could he show it them? In one way only, by dismissing the consequence of the punishment of those sins sealing thus in the individual case the general truth. He who could say to a man by the eternal law, suffering the consequences of sin, Be well, strong, suffer no more, must have the right to pronounce his forgiveness. Else there was another than God who had to cure with a word the man whom his maker had afflicted if there were such another the kingdom of god must be trembling to its fall for a stronger had invaded and reversed its decrees power does not give the right to pardon but its possession may prove the right whether it is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk if only god can do either he who can do the one must be able to do the other that ye may know that the son of man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house up rose the man took up that whereon he had lain and went away knowing himself that his sins were forgiven him for he was able to glorify god it seems to me against our lord's usual custom with the scribes and Pharisees to grant them such proof as this. Certainly, to judge by those recorded, the whole miracle was an aspect and order somewhat unusual. But I think the men here assembled were either better than the most of their class, or in a better mood than common, for St. Luke says of them that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. To such, therefore, proof might be accorded, which was denied to others, that he might heal these learned doctors around him. He forgave the sins first and then cured the palsy of the man before him. For their sakes he performed the miracle thus, then like priests, like people. For where their leaders were listening, the people broke open the roof to get the helpless into his presence. They marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men, saying, We never saw it in this fashion. They were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And yet Capernaum had to be brought down to hell, and no man tell the place where it stood. Two more cases remain, both related by St. Mark alone. They brought him a man partially deaf and dumb, He led him aside from the people. He would be alone with him, that he might come the better into relation with that individuality which until molten from within is so hard to touch. Possibly had the man come of himself, this might have been less necessary. But I repeat, there must have been in every case reason for the individual treatment of the character and condition of the patient. These were patent only to the healer. In this case, the closeness of the personal contact, as in those cases of the blind, is likewise remarkable. He put his fingers into his ears. He spit and touched his tongue. Always in present disease, bodily contact, in defects of the senses, sometimes of a closer kind, he would generate assured faith in himself as the healer. BUT THERE IS ANOTHER REMARKABLE PARTICULAR HERE, WHICH, AS FAR AS I CAN REMEMBER, WOULD BE ALONE IN ITS KIND, BUT FOR A FULLER DEVELOPMENT OF IT AT THE RAISING OF LAZARUS. AND LOOKING UP TO HEAVEN, HE SIGHED. WHAT DID IT MEAN? WHAT FIRST OF ALL WAS IT? THAT LOOK, WAS IT NOT A LOOK UP TO HIS OWN FATHER? THAT SIGH, WAS IT NOT THE UNARTICULATED PRAYER TO THE FATHER OF THE MAN WHO STOOD BESIDE HIM? But did he need to look up as if God was in the sky, seeing that God was in him, in his very deepest, inmost being, in the fullness of presence and receiving conscious response such as he could not find anywhere else, not from the whole gathered universe? Why should he send a sigh like a David's dove to carry the thought of his heart to the Father? True, if all the words of human language had been blended into one glorious majesty of speech, and the Lord had sought therein to utter the love he bore the Father, his voice must needs have sunk into the last inarticulate resource, the poor sigh, in which evermore speech dies helplessly, triumphantly, appealing to the hearer to supply the lack, saying, I cannot, but thou knowest confessing defeat but claiming victory. But the Lord could talk to his father evermore in forms of which words are but the shadows, nay, infinitely more without forms at all, in the thoughts which are the souls of the forms. Why then needs he look up and sigh, that the man whose faith was in the merest nascent condition might believe that whatever cure came to him from the hand of the healer came from the hand of God. Jesus did not care to be believed in as the doer of the deed, save the deed itself were recognized as given him of the Father. If they saw him only, and not the Father through him, there was little gained indeed. The upward look and sigh were surely the outward expression of the infrangible link which bound both the lord and the man to the father of all he would lift the man's heart up to the source of every gift no cure would be worthy gift without that it might be an injury the last case is that of the blind man of bethsaida whom likewise he led apart out of the town and whose dull organs he likewise touched with his spittle then comes a difference the deaf man was at once cured When he had laid his hands on the blind man, his vision was but half restored. He asked him if he saw aught, and he looked up and said, I see men, for like trees. Footnote 7. Could it be translated, as well as that is besides trees, I see walkers about? In footnote. I see them walking about. He could tell they were men and not trees, only by their motion. THE MASTER LAID HIS HANDS ONCE MORE UPON HIS EYES, AND WHEN HE LOOKED UP AGAIN, HE SAW EVERY MAN CLEARLY. IN THUS GRADUATING THE PROCESS, OUR LORD, I THINK, DREW FORTH, ENCOURAGED, ENTICED INTO STRENGTH THE FEEBLE FAITH OF THE MAN. HE brooded OVER HIM WITH HIS HOLY PRESENCE OF LOVE. HE GAVE THE FAITH TIME TO GROW. HE CARED MORE FOR HIS FAITH THAN HIS SIGHT. He let him, as it were, watch him, feel him doing it, that he might know and believe. There is in this a peculiar resemblance to the ordinary modes God takes in healing men. These last miracles are especially full of symbolism and analogy. But in considering any of the miracles, I do not care to dwell upon this aspect of them, for in this they are only like all the rest of the doings of God nature is brimful of symbolic and analogical parallels to the goings and comings the growth and the changes of the highest nature in man it could not be otherwise for not only did they issue from the same thought but the one is made for the other nature as an outer garment for man or a living house rather for man to live in so likewise must all the works of him who did the works of the father bear the same mark of the original of all. The one practical lesson contained in this group is nearer the human fact and the human need than any symbolic meaning, grand as it must be, which they may likewise contain. Nearer also to the constitution of things, inasmuch as what a man must do, is more to the man and to his maker than what he can only think. Inasmuch also as the commonest things are the best, and any man can do right, although he may be unable to tell the difference between a symbol and a sign. It is that if ever there was a man such as we read about here, then he who prays for his friends shall be heard of God. I do not say he shall have whatever he asks for, God forbid, but he shall be heard. And the man who does not see the good of that knows nothing of the good of prayer, can, I fear, as yet only pray for himself, when most he fancies he is praying for his friend. Often, indeed, when men suppose they are concerned for the well-beloved, they are only concerned about what they shall do without them. Let them pray for themselves instead, for that will be the truer prayer i repeat all prayer is assuredly heard what evil matter is it that it should be answered only in the right time and right way the prayer argues a need the need will be supplied one day is with the lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day all who have prayed shall one day justify god and say Thy answer is beyond my prayer, as thy thoughts and thy ways are beyond my thoughts and my ways. End of chapter 6, part 2.